Welcome to Tales from the Abyss, the most uncut, unselfish, unfiltered, unpretentious show out there in podcast land. It is the greatest celebration of freedom of speech in the land of the free and the home of the braves. Hey folks, Jay Linderman here. Uh, If you couldn't already tell, our man Link is not available this week. He's out there working hard for that money, making those greenbacks to pay the bills. And you can't blame the guy. He's a hard-working individual. He bleeds red, white, and blue, and he's out there doing what he needs to do. In the meantime, folks, I am here to help us get through this week, and I've put together a topic today that I hope you will all enjoy. I think it will be very, very entertaining to most of you, if not all of you. Um, But before I get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, just real quick, a quick programming note. Uh, Tomorrow, Friday... Uh, Friday, February the 17th, actually, Linderman's Picks will be dropping. Uh, I will be out there talking about this weekend's sports activities, mostly college basketball and NBA. And also, our new segment, The Sentiment with Rennie Rico, will also be dropping a new episode. So please be sure to stay tuned for both of those. Lots going on here at Tales from the Abyss. And I also wanted to throw out there a quick rest in peace. R.I.P. To a legend in Hollywood, just a couple of days ago, Raquel Welch um, passed away. Uh, It's unfortunate Raquel Welch was known, especially back in the 60s and 70s, as being a quote-unquote sex symbol. She was admired and adored by millions all over the world. Uh, God rest your soul, Ms. Ms. Welch. And uh, I know as time goes on, you will always be remembered as one of the best-looking actresses in Hollywood history. Not only that, I mean, this this woman was popular all across the board. She was on Saturday Night Live back in the early days. She's probably best known for uh, her movie One, Mi- One Million Years B.C., I believe is what it's called. She was a pinup girl. She was one of the first like major actresses to have her own poster. That was uh, probably every teenager's bedroom back in the day. But anyway, Godspeed and... Uh, Prayers and thoughts out to Raquel Welch's family. All right, today's show, I have put together a list of 10 movies, and they are my favorite action guilty pleasures. In other words, movies that are considered so bad, but to me, they're brilliant. They may be cheesy, they may be full of bad acting, but the entertainment value is top notch. Uh, I put this together last minute. I hope everybody enjoys this. Um, first of all, I'm a huge action fan. If you've gone, if you've gone back and listened to past episodes of Tales from the Abyss with me and Link, you know I I love action movies. The cheesier, the better. The 80s and 90s were filled with glorious action films that I would rent time and time again and actually own to this day. So it took me a minute to think about what movies I was going to use. So I put together a top 10 list, and I am going to base all these movies, by the way, on entertainment value, of course, my opinion. And by the way, once I do list these movies, please feel free to leave a comment on our home app of Anchor and on our Facebook page under Tales from the Abyss. So I've ranked these, and I'm going to go from bottom to top, 10 to number one, based on entertainment value, as I was saying. So without further ado, however, before we start our top 10 list, though, real quick, I do have one honorable mention that didn't quite make that top 10, 
and that is a movie called Still Justice, released in 1987, directed by Robert Boris, who I've never heard of, but it stars Martin Cove. Martin Cove, if you recall, is uh, Sensei John Kreese in the Karate Kid series and in Cobra Kai. But back in the mid to late 80s, Martin Cove was sort of being groomed to be another action star back when Hollywood was in the business of making action stars. I mean, they made an action star out of Steven Seagal. They made an action star out of Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, Hollywood tried to make a huge action star out of many other people, such as Jeff Speakman. That's the first one that comes to mind. But uh, Still Justice is a great big piece of cheese. It is. And it, it comes on the heels of the popularity of the war vet going back to Vietnam to rescue POWs. It's in that same kind of vein. And once again, our hero's name is John, just like John Rambo or John Matrix from Commando. So it's based on that. But the movie is very, God, man, it's cheaply made. The, the Vietnam terrain seriously looks like somebody's backyard in South Georgia. Doesn't look like anything from Vietnam whatsoever. But the supporting cast here is pretty decent. You had a very young Celia Ward before she became really popular. Uh, Ronnie Cox, who uh, was also in RoboCop that same year and also starred years and years before in the uh, movie Deliverance. And you also had as the villain Soon Tech Ho. Uh, if you don't know who Soon Tech Ho is, he was the main villain in Chuck Norris's Missing in Action 2. He's also been in Delta Force 2. Uh, the man played the, the token Vietnamese bad guy in any kind of Vietnamese action movie back in the day. So the cast in this was solid and there were veterans. It was just really cheaply done. It only made just over $1 million at the box office, but damn, is it entertaining. And before I move on bef uh, from Steel Justice, there were three taglines that went with this movie to help promote it, and they are just absolutely brilliant. The first one is, when the police needed someone to stop the Vietnamese mafia, there was only one choice, John Steele. Or... You don't recruit John Steele. You unleash him. <laughs> I love that one. But my favorite one is this. The only law is the Black Tigers. The only justice is John Steele's. There you go. Those three taglines just sold you the movie. So yeah, our honorable mention is 1987 Steel Justice starring Martin Cove. All right, folks, we got that one honorable mention out of the way. Let's move on to our top 10. And uh, let's get to it. Uh, I will say this, our first two selections actually come from the same year. That year is 1998. So without further ado, here we go. At number 10 on our top 10 action guilty pleasures list is Firestorm, released in early 1998, directed by... Uh, um, Hollywood veteran, uh, he's actually a DP veteran, Dean Simler, and it stars Howie Long. Howie Long, the football player, who's now a football analyst for uh, Fox Sports. Yeah, that Howie Long. 
And uh, again, this one has a good uh, supporting cast as well. Scott Glenn, uh, best known for his role in Backdraft in Silence of the Lambs, and he's been in millions of other things. William Forsyth, the underrated William Forsyth, always plays a great bad guy. Uh, he's probably best known for his roles in Devil's Rejects and Rob Zombie's Halloween. He was a bad guy in Steven Seagal's movie Out for Justice. Um, and Susie Amos, who at the time was also uh, had a small supporting role in James Cameron's Titanic. Uh, she also had a supporting role in the 1994 action movie Blown Away with Jeff Bridges. So good, solid supporting cast. But this, again, uh, Hollywood was trying to make an action star out of Howie Long uh, due to the fact that two years before he appeared in the action movie Broken Arrow directed by John Woo. Speaking of which... About a year, year and a half ago, Tales from the Abyss did an episode on Broken Arrow. So go back in our catalog and check it out. I know, shameless, shameless plug, but whatever. So um, Firestorm came out hoping to launch Howie Long into being another action star. And the movie itself looks great. The fire scenes are awesome. Uh, it's just a shame that the plot sucked. Very mediocre. Uh, the dialogue's... Not very good. Uh, Howie Long's got a good screen presence, but he's got the charisma of wallpaper. However, it's a lot of fun, mainly because of William Forsyth's bad guy. And the fire scenes, like I said, are pretty cool. There's some pretty cool action scenes. There's a jump off a cliff on a motorcycle. There's a scene where Howie revs a uh, chainsaw, throws it behind him as the (laughs) chainsaw goes through the windshield of a truck. Not making this shit up. It's all, you know, run-of-the-mill action hero stuff. And uh, how is Howie Long's hero, Jesse, is, you know, is a smoke jumper that gets caught up in a prison break. That, that's your basic plot. And uh, it's a very tight movie at about an hour and a half. Some decent jokes here and there. Nothing very, very memorable like a commando or, or anything like that. But a solid watch. If you have an hour and a half and you want to watch a, you know, a movie that's a cheesy good time, yeah, then get give Fire Firestorm a watch because I think you may enjoy it. So number ten, Firestar, Fire Firestar, the hell am I thinking? Firestorm, nineteen ninety eight, and we're gonna stick with the year nineteen ninety eight as we head to number nine on our guilty guilt action guilty pleasures list. Nineteen ninety eight is Hard Rain. Oh yeah, directed by Michael Solomon. It stars Christian Slater, who at the time was uh, busy trying to do action movies. He had, he was also in Broken Arrow two years before. Um, he had done True Romance several years before that. Had some, some action shots in it. Christian Slater, at the time, was still very popular. Um, and I guess he decided to give his hand at action one more time. And it's a decent enough movie. As, uh, again, a Again, you'll notice the same trend in this list. A great supporting cast. Morgan Freeman, Randy Quaid, um, uh, Mini Driver. Mini Driver is huge at the time, uh, mainly thanks to Goodwill Hunting. But uh, yeah, and Morgan Freeman, of course, at the time could really do no wrong. I mean, the man would watch him read the phone book. <laughs> like, no kidding. Hard Rain, I like the concept. It's a different concept. It's a concept that's highly unrealistic, but fun to watch. 
during a bad rainstorm, this small town is about to be flooded. Uh, in the midst of all this, there's a bank heist that goes wrong. Christian Slater's character is called up in the middle of it. He he works for the armored surface that was carrying all the money the the uh, the villains are trying to get. And it's really a cat and mouse game. We see a lot of boat chases, jet ski chases, jumping through windows, fire somehow raging and pouring down rain. <laughs> yeah, lots of uh, close calls of you know of of drowning and that kind of thing. But Hard Rain is a fun watch. Uh, I actually own it on Blu-ray. It's um, I've always enjoyed it. I remember seeing it in the movie theaters. Uh, this movie, like Firestorm, by the way, was a bomb at the box office, but it did find a little bit of life on home video. So that's always good. It's still one of those movies from the from the nineties, as far as action films goes, that is still regarded as one of the most underrated. Yeah, it you know. I think the bad, most bad thing about Hard Rain is the most, is the unrealistic plot. Yeah, I, the whole town flooding thing you probably won't buy, but overall it's a solid action movie. Lots of guns, lots of chase scenes, and there are some one-liners in there from Christian Slater, but nothing memorable. Morgan Freeman is probably the best part of the movie, but you know you probably knew that already. Anyway, at number nine was Hard Rain from nineteen ninety eight. All right. At number eight on our list, we're going to be talking about the one, the only, JCVD, Jean-Claude Van Damme. And then early 1993, Jean-Claude Van Damme had become a massive star. Um, He had done uh, Double Impact, which was actually somewhat of a surprise hit in 91, then did Universal Soldier in 92 with Dolph Lundgren. It was a big hit. So by the time we get to early 93, Nowhere to Run was the movie we're talking about. Nowhere to Run, uh, Van Damme was very bankable as a leading man. And reason I put this Van Damme movie on here is because it is Jean-Claude's attempt at, to do something a little bit more dramatic after a string of action movies. I was originally going to put Lionheart here, but I actually enjoyed Nowhere to Run more. Uh not because of Van Damme trying to be dramatic. It's that the action's a little bit more grounded. And not only that, uh, by the way, No Way to Run was directed by Robert Harmon. No clue who he is. I haven't even looked him up, but I have to mention him. <laughs> I know, right? But they, again, supporting a cast is great. Rosanna Arquette, Kieran Culkin, younger brother to Macaulay Culkin. Joss Auckland, uh, he's probably best known for being the villain in Lethal Weapon 2. Ted Levine. Uh, who played Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs and was the voice of the trucker in Joyride. A lot of people forget about that. Candy cane. Bad impression, I know. I, I do my best. Anyway, it was funny to me. But, uh, yeah, it's basically a movie about this escaped convict who's on the run, kind of ends up uh, hiding on uh, the land of this young widowed woman with her two kids and... They're having issues with a local development project. They're trying to take over the young woman's land to build, who knows, I think condos or something like that. And of course, with that being her family's land, uh, Rosanna Kett does not want to move. And therefore, Van Damme's got to step in to defend the family. Uh, I like it. Van Damme actually doesn't say much in this movie, much like, uh, actually, I think he says more in Universal Soldier than he does in Nowhere to Run. But Van Damme's screen presence is great. He, his charisma 
oozes machismo. And you know from the first five minutes that at the end of the movie, he's going to save the day. But I like it. I think it's entertaining just due to the fact it's a little, like I said before, it's a little bit more grounded. The action scenes aren't, aren't as prevalent in this one as they would be in, say, like Double Impact. But Van Damme really shows that he can lead a movie in this one and, and lead a movie well. And and it's just unfortunate only a couple of years after this is when his star would fall. But Nowhere to Run shows what Van Damme could have also done and maybe a, a, a bigger dramatic role. He did do a big dramatic role in 2000, I believe it's 2009 or 2010 with JCVD where Van Damme essentially plays himself only in a fictional setting. Um, so his dramatic role in that is far better than Nowhere to Run. But Nowhere to Run's, it, it's great. Uh, nobody really talks about this one when they talk about JCVD's filmography. I enjoy it. And I think if you love Van Damme and if you've never seen this movie or, or at least it's been forever, uh, I would go check it out. It's it's a fun little tight movie. It runs at about 94 minutes, which isn't long at all compared to movies that come out nowadays. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So at number eight, we had nowhere to run at. Yeah, number eight, we had nowhere to run and it was made and night was released in 1993. Sorry, fumbled my words again there, folks. Try to do this by myself. Cut me some slack, would you? <laughs> and at number seven, we have a movie that's been talked about as being one of the sleaziest, dirtiest action films ever made. And I am talking about Death Wish 3, 1985. Man, this is about as sleazy as you can get when it comes to movies. Now, Death Wish 3 obviously is a sequel. That's the third in a line of movies that started back in the early 70s, starring Charles Bronson. Death Wish, the original one from the 70s, uh, was actually a gritty take on being a vigilante. It was something new at the time. People loved it. Uh, critics were divided with it, but uh, you know it, it was really one of the m- more famous roles Charles, Charles Bronson's been in- involved with. And then came the early 80s where the Cannon Group, the infamous <clears throat> Cannon Group, Menahem Golan and Yoram Globus, decided to make a sequel, Death Wish 2. And they brought back Bronson, and Death Wish 2 actually gave Bronson a new career boost. Uh, despite the movie being hated by everybody, um, they decided to make a Death Wish 3 because of the profit that the second one made. And while Death Wish 2 was known for being sleazy and dirty and grimy and unnecessary, Death Wish 3 took that to a whole new level. The basic story is that Charles Bronson's character, Paul Kersey, goes back to New York to visit an old war buddy who's living in a terrible neighborhood being run by gangs. Where the police are at, I have no idea. Well, Charles Bronson's buddy gets killed, so naturally Bronson's got to take revenge and before you know it, he's taking out everybody that lives in the neighborhood, especially at the very end when he's using this huge-ass gun that I've never seen before, but yet Charles Bronson holds it by the barrel. Well, normally that barrel would burn your motherfucking hand off. But it's Charles Bronson. And he just takes out the bad guys. That's that's really it. Bronson just takes out the trash, as they say. Um, I like it. It's highly entertaining to me. Now, the supporting cast is full of unknowns. Uh, the only name I uh, recognized was 
Alex Winter, who went on to play uh, in Bill and Ted with Keanu Reeves. So, um, yeah. Other than that, there's really nobody else in it. It was directed by Michael Winter. And if you ever go on YouTube and watch behind-the-scenes stuff about Death Wish 3, there's a lot of bad things that were said about Michael Winter, about uh, his treatment of women and cast members and stuff. And boy, did he bring out the sleeves. Do you, I mean, Death Wish 2 had a unfortunate rape scene that was completely just straight up one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever seen. Death Wish 3 has kill scenes that are just that brutal. Um, but it's in, the, the movie's entertaining overall because of what Bronson does. And he just goes out there and kills everybody, pretty much, and does it with a smile on his face. So at, as far as action movie lovers like myself, that's all you need to see. So at number seven, Death Wish through Death Wish Three, released in nineteen eighty-five. All right, number six, we're gonna stick with another Canon Group movie. Only this one stars Chuck Norris. I'm talking about Invasion USA again in the year nineteen eighty-five. Back when action movies were coming out every single month. Yeah, Invasion USA is Chuck Norris at his red, white, and blue karate kicking best. He, I mean, I probably, I've thought about putting the Delta Force in this spot. But as much as I like the Delta Force, the movie doesn't really kick into gear into the last hour of the movie or so. Invasion USA gets your attention from the get-go. It's basically about a group of terrorists looking to take over America. And there's only one man, as they say, only one man can stop them. Matt Hunter, played by Chuck Norris. And uh, that's what he does. He goes after the bad guys. These these terrorists come on American soil to take it over. We see the bad guys go to suburbans and just take out families and homes and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but Chuck Norris is there to save the day. Highly entertaining. Filled with chases, explosions, and bullets. Chuck Norris looks the part. His hair had grown out a little bit more by that point. His beard had gone had gotten nice and thick, so it was it's probably the most iconic you'll ever see Chuck. And he may not be the best actor, but his screen presence is off the chart. He's got great likability. The you know, back then especially audiences loved him. And Inv- Invasion USA is really, really no different. It's uh Chuck Norris had his action best. If you have not seen it, or at least not seen it in a while, go back and check it out. I actually went back and watched it last week and enjoyed it immensely. It was just highly entertaining. So at number six on our list of action movie guilty pleasures, we have Invasion USA at, May, uh, excuse me, released in 1985. And now for number five, our only movie... That was released in the 2000s. I am talking about The Marine, released in 2006, starring John Cena, who at the time was a huge star in the WWE. Here he was in his first movie, and it's a starring role. And The Marine was released um, at a time when action movies were not very popular. I think the most popular action star at the time was Jason Statham. Uh, action movies have gotten better over the years, uh, especially by now in 2023. But in 2006, it was not action movies were not a popular thing, 
And it's unfortunate because the Marine is a throwback to those 80s and 90s action films where you have over-the-top bad guys, uh, unrealistic situations, but amazing action. Directed by John Benito. Never heard that name before, um, but whatever. Uh, it, it's a decent movie. This John Cena's acting has gotten 20 times better now than what it was in 2006, okay? Because in this movie... John Cena couldn't act his way out of the paper sack. However, he's got the good luck and presence to pull off the role. Um, great chase scenes. And, and again, a great villain in this one played by Robert Patrick. Uh, he leads this little gang of jewel thieves who are on their way to sale to make tons of money. But unfortunately, they... Uh, screw up and kill a cop at this gas station that John Cena and his wife just happen to be at. They end up taking Cena's wife hostage. The gas station blows up. John Cena goes into action. Uh, we get a pretty cool looking chase scene. However, that awesome chase scene ended unrealistically. You have to see the movie to, to understand. A um, couple of one-liners in this. My favorite being uh, during a chase scene Right after the gas uh, station explosion, John Cena's in his car. Call you know he's in a police car that's been shot up. He's on his uh, walkie. He's he's on the CB radio. He's calling in the police. What has happened? And he goes, "Oh, and by the way, they have one hostage. It's my wife." Boom! Go get him, John. Go get him. By the way, his name in this movie is John Triton. So we have another John to add. To the action hero list. And even though he's not on this list. We gotta talk about John McLean too. You know what I mean? Anywho. It's a throwback. It's a fun little movie. Um, we get a chase scene in the woods. We get a lot of explosions. Uh, a funny entertaining villain. So if you haven't seen it in a while. I've never seen it at all. Yeah. Give the Marine a, a chance. Uh, so at number five. We had the Marine released in 2006. Woo, we're more than halfway done with our list, folks. How's everybody doing? Has any of y'all seen any of these movies? I actually own a couple of these. Um, actually, all the ones I have mentioned so far, I own on Blu-ray except for Firestorm. Which, to be honest, I've looked and can't find it on Blu-ray. So if anybody has any ideas on how to find it, let me know. All right, let's move on to number four. In this next movie, we're going back to the Cannon Group, and this is also a movie I watched time and time again on VHS. It is none other than Masters of the Universe, released in 1987, directed by Gary Goddard, starring Dolph Lundgren as He-Man and the probably one of the more underrated villains in screen history, Frank Langella as Skeletor. It was billed as Star Wars of the 80s. It didn't quite make it that far. And the movie's not very good. Oh, man. It, it, look, if you make a bad sci-fi movie, it's going to look bad. Because special effects have to be right. Costuming, the vehicles, the weapons, and all that's got to look right for a sci-fi movie to work. While a lot of the set pieces and stuff didn't work in Masters... Somehow, it beautifully all just comes together. Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, very early in Dolph's uh, career, didn't speak English very well. Therefore, he says about 10 lines in the whole movie, which is probably for the best. 
But, however, he's got the look. He's got the long blonde hair. He's got the build. Wasn't a fan of the uniforms. A little bit different than the cartoon. But he has a sword. Frank Legella is perfect as Skeletor. So, yeah, those elements that were great. Castle Grayskull looked great. Too, it's just too bad that uh, we didn't get much of it. But, I mean, it's basically a fish-out-of-water story. He-Man and Tila and Men-at-Arms and their new friend, Gwildor, replacing Orko, by the way, because the special effects weren't good enough back then to make an Orko. They wind up on Earth. They're trying to find the cosmic key to get back to Eternia to save the sorceress from the evil clutches of Skeletor. And so in between, we get new characters uh, on Earth, uh, played by one of them played by a very young Courtney Cox. All in all, it's entertaining to me as the plot is just weird and the movie is not anywhere anything like the cartoon. You don't have Prince Adam. You don't have Battle Cat. You don't have uh, King Randor and Queen Marlena. Um, You don't have, I mean, you have Eternia, but you don't see, you know, the palace and Snake Mountain and all that. You get a quick matte painting glimpse of... Castle Grayskull, but that's really about it. Um, He-Man actually uses a laser gun in this. He does have a sword, but he doesn't use it. You know, it's not really a sword of power. He does say, I I have the power towards the end, which is pretty cool, by the way. And he doesn't really show, you know, know, He-Man is known as the strongest man in the universe, and he doesn't really show his strength in this movie. There was a quick, cool uh, sword fight scene between He-Man and the villain Blade, who's probably the best, second best villain in the movie, in my opinion. Problem was, the fight scene didn't last very long. So, And then the movie had production problems. They actually tried to shut down production before the ending was shot. So, Because Kenner Group at the time was getting ready to go through bankruptcy. However, the movie itself is a was one of my favorites as a kid. Again, I own this one on, on Blu-ray. It's a cheesy, good sci-fi romp. Uh, nothing really funny as far as one-liners in this. They try to make the character Gruldor kind of like the comic relief, but it doesn't really work. However, I do like some of the action. As stupid as some of the, of the dialogue is, there is some cool action scenes. So if you are a big fan of nostalgic sci-fi, or just a He-Man fan in general, you got to check out Masters of the Universe. So at number four, Masters of the Universe, 1987. Woo! We have made it to our top three. Are you ready? I am, because these three will knock your freaking socks off. However, the my third pick is probably one that a lot of you won't agree with, but I'm putting it on here, and I'm going to explain why. So at number three, I have End of Days, 1999. It's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that, in my opinion, does not get talked about enough. You know, when you talk about cheesy action movie, you think about Arnold, you probably think of Commando, The Running Man's another great one, um, Raw Deal, Red Heat, um... Even some of his later ones, like The Sixth Day, Collateral Damage. Um, but those movies kind of sucked, in my opinion. But End of Days kind of gets lost in all of that. And I think this movie is awesome. We see Arnold in a different light. He, he's, a, you know, he's a security team member that's lost his family. Uh, he's on the verge of basically offing himself when we first meet the character. 
So you knew right away there's a dark, edgy tone to this guy. Um, but yet, somehow he becomes involved with Satan. That's right. A man who has just lost his faith is about to come in contact with the devil himself, played by the awesome great Gabriel Byrne. Basic plot, uh, Satan has come back to take his bride at the end of the millennium, 1999. Um, and if he does so before midnight, he can take over the universe again. Arnold's character, uh, Jericho Kane, has to find the girl and protect her from the devil, pretty much. But we get some cool action scenes. We we really do. And first of all, this movie was directed by Peter Hyams, who I adore as a director. I do not think he gets enough credit. He also directed a couple of Van Damme movies that I really liked in Tom Cop and Sudden Death. He also directed the underrated sci-fi sequel, 2010. Uh, what else did he do? He did some other stuff. Uh, the Relic is an underrated um, kind of action horror thriller type creature film. Uh, the Relic is awesome in my opinion. But yeah, Peter Hyams is also known for being director of photography for his own movies. I think he's got a good eye. This movie, End of Days, is really dark beginning to end. Not much daylight to be found. However, the, the action's cool, especially the subway scene towards the end of the movie. Fantastic. Good supporting cast with Gabriel Byrne as the devil. Robin Tunney, uh, who's probably best known for starring in The Craft. She was also in Vertical Limit, which is another decent guilty pleasure action movie. Um, who else was in this? Kevin Pollack, a veteran actor who's been in several stuff. Kevin Pollack, I remember him as being uh, Denzel's partner in Ricochet. But uh, again, another great supporting cast, another capable director. The dialogue and the script isn't that great. I think that's kind of what kills the movie. There is a, a kind of uncomfortable scene between uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Gabriel Byrne, uh, Jericho versus the devil. Uh, the devil's talking uh, to Jericho about you know, joining his side and how the Bible is the most overrated piece of literature ever. If you're a big religious buff, I can see how it would be very, very um, uncomfortable. However, if you look into the deeper story of it, this is also a movie about redemption. It's about a man who has lost his faith and kind of regains it in the end to uh, save the world. I love End of Days. Like I said, it doesn't get caught... Uh, talk, excuse me, talked about enough, but I'm telling you now, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Go, matter of fact, go and watch it today or tonight, whenever you listen to it. End of Days, released in 1999, was our number three action guilty pleasure. Coming in at number two is a movie pretty much everybody knows, but I gotta list it. Number two is 1989's Roadhouse. Ah, uh, yes. Roadhouse. The movie that oozes machismo oh yeah back in the day if you're a young lady going to watch this you got to see patrick swayze sam elliott all being just all kinds of badassery going on if you're a young female going to see this back in 1989 you probably walked out of the movie pregnant oh yes it is patrick swayze doing his swayze best People talk about Patrick Swayze and they talk about Dirty Dancing or even Point Break, which I love, but I don't consider Point Break a guilty pleasure because, I, in my opinion, I think Point Break's an actual good movie. 
which is another reason why I didn't put Chuck Norris's Lone Wolf McQuaid on here. But um, as cheesy as Lone Wolf McQuaid is. Anywho, I know, I'm fucked up. Okay, so Roadhouse, you know, basic plot, right? A bouncer, or the cooler as they call him, shows up at a rowdy bar. It's a double deuce. It's in dire straits. They say, quote unquote, blood is on the floor every night. He's kind of hired big money to come in to clean up the place, but little does he know that the small town that the Double Deuce is in, or the Double Douche, as uh, Sam Elliott calls it, uh, is kind of being run by this little little punk named Brad Wesley, played by the late, great Ben Gazzara. And he kind of comes head-to-head with Patrick Swayze's character Dalton, I think later on we find out it's James Dalton, but in the movie it's Dalton. They made a sequel to Roadhouse 2, uh, to Roadhouse, called Roadhouse 2, however you want to take it. Yeah, I haven't seen it, I heard it was shitty. But anywho, so Dalton and the villain Brad Wesley are butting heads. Brad Wesley likes to send his henchmen to do his dirty work. There's a pretty cool fight scene next to this river at the, towards the end of the movie that's pretty badass. The movie ends with Swayze going to Wesley's house and basically, you know, fucking it up, taking revenge after all the stuff that's happened throughout the town. And the townspeople get fed up and they take their vengeance too, that kind of thing. It's a simple, simple movie. Uh, but God, as, as much as I love Patrick Swayze, I love Sam Elliott in this movie. I really do. That big old burly mustache is in full effect in Roadhouse. Uh, by the way, this movie was directed by Rowdy Harrington. If you don't know who he is, he directed several movies back in the 90s. I think the most popular one after Roadhouse would probably be Bruce Willis's Striking Distance. Um, one of the more underrated Willis movies, I think. However, uh, I think he really outdid himself on this one. This, Roadhouse was also produced by Joel Silver who was really popular at the time for producing Lethal Weapon, Predator, and Die Hard. So Roadhouse was being, you know, hyped up to be like the summer's next great action movie. Uh, It did decent business at the box office. Critics hated it, mainly because, I'm sure, because of the dialogue and stupid plot. But overall, there's so much entertainment value here that if you cannot be entertained by Roadhouse, you might want to check your pulse because you're not alive. So at number two on our action guilty pleasures list is Roadhouse of 1989. And here we go with number one. Now, for anyone who's been listening to Tales for the Abyss, you all know I'm a Sylvester Stallone action aficionado. I am. I am a sucker. No matter how bad the movie is. Here's looking at you, Get Carter, or how great the movie is. Here's looking at you, Cliffhanger, or how underrated the movie is. Here's looking at you, Cobra. This next one takes the cake because it is just filled with action cheese. I am talking about Tango and Cash. And it was actually the very last studio movie released for the decade of the 1980s. It was released in late December of 1989, directed by Andrei Kondlovsky, 
Konjlowski was probably best known at the time for directing the always awesome John Voight, Eric Roberts movie, Runaway Train. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It is awesome. But uh, Tango and Cash had its fair share of production problems with director of photography and director, all kinds of stuff going on. I mean, in case you've been living on the moon for the past 30 years, the movie stars Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell. And basic plot is these two L.A. cops are framed for murder and they are sent to prison and they have to break out to clear their name and then chaos ensues. But what makes this movie so good is the duo of Stallone and Kurt Russell. It carries the film. Kurt Russell at the time had done a few things of action such as um, Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, Stallone, of course, was known all over the world by that point as Rocky and Rambo. And in this one, though, Stallone plays the straight-laced man with the glasses, likes to follow his stocks on Wall Street. Meanwhile, that's Ray Tango. And then uh, you have Gabriel Cash, played by Kurt Russell, who is a little bit more loose and fun-loving and that kind of thing. So you put them two together, and you get, you get some good stuff. However, almost every piece of dialogue of Tango and Cash is straight, like, one-liners. Like, I'm not kidding. I mean, it's as bad, if not worse, than the movie Commando with Schwarzenegger. Almost every line is a one-liner, but the chemistry between the two leads is outstanding. The main villain in this is played by the great Jack Palance. Um, you get a young Terry Hatcher as Stallone's sister in a small role here. Uh, the always great and underrated Jeffrey Lewis um, plays a uh, plays the boss, the uh, sergeant or lieutenant, whoever he is, above Tango and Cash. And small but effective role. I thought I felt like his role could have been bigger. But the action and the one-liners is really uh, what takes place here. A lot of big action scenes and sets. The escape from the prison was pretty cool. I mean. The end of Tango and Cash is the definition of 1980s action. The boys somehow commandeer this souped-up vehicle with all kinds of high-tech weapons, and they go after the bad guy, who's basically holed up in this high-tech fortress. And we just get a bunch of chases and explosions and bullets and fire. And of course, Tango and Cash, they end up saving the day. This movie is awesome. From head to toe. I mean, it was actually a box office hit. But over the years, it's, it's, it's taken its beatings as being a bad movie. And yes, it is poorly written. And you can tell it was edited very, very quickly. You can also tell there were characters that were supposed to have bigger parts, but were left on the editing room floor and vice versa. Uh, so there's lots of studio involvement, I think, in post-production because they were trying to get the movie released by the end of 89. They were trying to get to make that release date. And that's how the film suffered. But overall, highly entertaining. And you cannot just... You can't beat Stallone and Russell together. You just can't. Uh, it's one of those films that Stallone and Kurt Russell... I would have loved to have seen a sequel back in the day. Of course, I don't think it would work now. But uh, yeah, Tango and Cash is our number one action guilty pleasure movie. Whew! I'm out of breath. I am out of breath. Man, that was fun. 
reliving some of those films. And like I said, I own most of these on Blu-ray. So if I didn't own them, then trust me, trust me, they're not worth your time. But yeah, man, all these movies are great. And I'm telling you, if you like cheese with your action, this is the list to go from. And that's just gonna that's just gonna do it here for me at Tales from the Abyss this week. I am Jay Linderman. Hope you guys have enjoyed this week's show. My apologies if Link uh, could not be with us this week, but I'm sure he'll be back next week. And we've got some shows lined up that we want to do so we can talk about. We won't get everything together. Uh, like I said, don't forget to uh, to miss. The Sentiment with Rennie Rico, and don't forget Linderman's Picks. That drops tomorrow as well. And a quick shout-out to our buddy Arthur Ziegler. Uh, Arthur was supposed to have started a history program for Tales for the Abyss. Unfortunately, Arthur has been in the hospital uh, due to an intestinal problem that he had to go get fixed. But he is on the road to recovery, and I guarantee you his show will be dropping soon. So get well, Arthur. We miss you, buddy. Well, just like a virgin on prom night, I am out of here. I hope everybody uh, has a great rest of the week. And if you don't, I'm sorry. Maybe your week next week will be a better one. This is Jay Linderman saying stay safe and stay badass. Good night, America.